Imagine a pastoral vacancy at a church located on a beautiful island in the Mediterranean Sea. You could easily be drawn into the warm, tropical, serene setting with endless blue skies. However, you discover island life is disorderly, and the disorderliness has crept into the church. This is why I left you in Crete, Paul wrote to Titus, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Identifying qualified leaders to oversee the church, even on a beautiful Greek island, must be a priority when putting things in order. That's because shepherding God's people well always starts with the leader's godly character. What is the measure of the man who leads your church? I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. Hello, I'm Brian Davis. Welcome to this Monday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Just as sin brought disorder to an otherwise orderly world, so do we, even as believers saved by grace through faith in Christ, sometimes bring disorder to what God wants to be an ordered church. There is a biblical order to the church, one the Apostle Paul wrote about some 2,000 years ago in his letter to Titus. Ron takes us to that epistle today as he continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Stay right here or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And while you're there, check out our digital library where Ron uses his 30 years of Bible teaching ministry to answer some of your toughest questions. With today's Something Good Radio message, Titus, putting things in order. Here's Dr. Ron Jones. Well, since the beginning of time, God has been putting things in order. Before we get to Titus, I want to take you all the way back to the book of Genesis, where it tells us the earth was in a chaotic state, dark and formless and void. And that's when God said, let there be light. And that was the beginning of the creative process and the beginning of the ordering of uh, the universe. Our creator proceeded to put the whole universe in order in six 24-hour days, including the blue planet in the Milky Way that we call home, planet Earth. Um, some people call it divine design, uh, this orderliness in the universe. Uh, such orderliness means that planets remain in their orbits. The moon travels through predictable phases. Seasons come and seasons go, and they come again. Apple seeds grow into apple trees. It's all rather orderly. It's rather predictable. Scientists marvel at the orderliness of the universe, whether they recognize God or not. Today, the laws of physics apply to our lives as much as they did to um, people and generations that lived before us. Now, what God ordered back in the book of Genesis uh, became chaotic again by Genesis chapter 3. That's when Adam and Eve uh, sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, that, that paradise for which God created us and them. And disease and death resulted because of their sin. Deception, despair, confusion, pain. I mean, the reality is we now live in a fallen, 
broken world, uh, uh, the whole creation around us at some level is disorderly in the midst of all the orderliness. Paul says in his letter to the Romans, the whole creation groans. It groans. Quickly, however, God placed into motion his plan to reorder our lives through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, It doesn't take long in Genesis. In fact, the latter part of Genesis chapter three before we get a glimpse of the gospel and God's plan to reorder things. It took time for our savior to arrive, but when he did arrive in the fullness of time, Galatians tells us, well, our savior came and 2,000 years ago, He paid the penalty for our sin, he purchased our redemption, and offered eternal life to all who placed their faith in him. And following his glorious resurrection, the Lord Jesus Christ put his followers, his disciples, into what we might call an ordered assembly. He began a holy enterprise called the church, which he said he would build by using living stones. Hey, turn to your neighbor today and say, I'm a living stone. Come on, say that with a little bit of enthusiasm. Because you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, are the building blocks of this spiritual edifice called the church, built up as a spiritual household with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone, the New Testament tells us. And though the Savior is perfect in every way, imperfect and sometimes disorderly people make up his church. Can I just say that again because it's so important for us to understand. Though we serve a perfect savior in every way, sometimes imperfect and disorderly people make up his church. And I believe the Apostle Paul possessed the theological capacity to go all the way back to Genesis and to keep all of this in mind the divine design that led to the disorderliness of living in a fallen world. He had all of that in mind, perhaps, when he wrote this letter to to Titus, one of his ministry colleagues. And here's what he said in chapter one and verse five. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. There was a little church that had formed on an island in the Mediterranean Sea called Crete. And and although it was a beautiful, you know, tropical, warm, serene setting, oh, don't be deceived because the island itself was disorderly. I mean, this was island life. Come on now. You know, you make up the rules as you go, right? That's, That's island life. But that disorderliness had crept into the church. And when when Paul found his way to Crete sometime after his Roman imprisonment, he spread the gospel there. Maybe there were some others. Um, Acts chapter two and verse 11 tells us that Jews from Crete were present on the day of Pentecost. Maybe they came to faith in Christ on the day of Pentecost made their way back to this beautiful island in the Mediterranean Sea and you know, spread the gospel and this, this church started, but it was in disarray, it was disorderly. And Paul left one of his uh, trusted ministry colleagues named Titus in Crete. He had to move on. He had other business to attend to. And he says, I've left you there to bring order to what has become 
disorderly. And this was not an easy assignment for Titus. You know, if, if you had put a posting out there to say, uh, you know, to pastors, anybody with, who would like to serve as the lead pastor of a church on an island in the Mediterranean Sea, I might be one of the first to raise my hands. I mean, you had me at, at beach and shores when I came here. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. We use that when we're recruiting staff, by the way. Virginia Beach. Did I mention beach? Did I mention Atlantic Shores? <laughs> Just as an aside, I'll never forget we were recruiting one staff member, and, and we intentionally took him down to the oceanfront for lunch, and um, we, we came out of the parking garage. We were to turn this way, but the ocean was this way. The lunch spot was over here. We intentionally turned this way. Let him get a little bit of sea spray on his face. In minutes, he was calling his wife, honey, I think we're called to this place. <laughs> you know, the island of Crete sounds great until you get there and find out just how disorderly the church was. It was not an easy assignment for Titus, yet he did not run away from the difficult assignment. He had been serving on Paul's ministry team for, for many, many years. In fact, in chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul calls Titus my true child in a common faith. And he re refers to his Greek-born friend. Titus was not a Jew. He was a Greek. He was made for ministry on this Greek island in the Mediterranean Sea. But Titus is mentioned another 11 times in the, in the New Testament. He was a, an integral part of Paul's ministry team, a trusted uh, associate, and exactly the right person to be left in Crete. A beautiful setting, you know, Probably worked on his tan as best as he could, you know. And, but boy, this was a tough assignment. To bring order to an otherwise disorderly church. Now, how did he do that? First way he did that was by finding qualified leaders. He called them elders. And Paul begins his letter to Titus in the deep end of theology. In verses 1 to 4, he wastes no time helping him understand the centrality of God's word as it relates to to the elect <laughs> and eternal life. I mean, it's like in verse two or three or just right at the beginning there where he drops those in. You know you're in the deep end of theology when he's mentioning God's elect as it relates to eternal life. Then he offers Titus grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And he turns his attention to the first and best way to bring order to a disorderly church by listing the qualifications of elders. Now, this is the third of three pastoral epistles, and we've already found a list of um, qualifications for elders in Paul's letter to Timothy, his first letter to Timothy. Uh, Paul's going to uh, reinforce some of those qualifications and, uh, and add to them. It should not surprise us that the list of elder qualifications is very similar, but um, he adds to them. Uh, whether the locale is Ephesus or Crete, whether you're in a big city or a small city, whether you're on the mainland or on an island, shepherding God's people well starts with the right leaders in place and with leaders who have godly character. Up next, the second half of today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Today's teaching comes from Ron's new monumental series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. 
Watch or listen to the entire series at your convenience in the Something Good digital library at somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, you can also download Ron's sermon notes for today's message. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Whenever you stop by, you're invited to share your prayer requests with us. Use the Explore feature at the top of the homepage where you'll find the How Can We Pray For You option. Our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer, so contact us anytime. What are God's instructions on choosing leaders in His church? Find out next in the rest of today's Something Good radio message, Titus, Putting Things in Order. And that's why you always take time, take your time in searching out leaders in the church, whether it's a new lead pastor or other pastors on the pastoral staff or lay elders and deacons or life group leaders. If you get the right leader in place, things have the potential to soar. You get the wrong leader in place, oh, you pay for it for a long, long time. In the book of Titus, Paul adds to the list of elder qualifications, as I mentioned before. And let me just highlight some of the additions so we're not uh, already plowing through territory we've been before, but in Titus we find that the elders' children must be believers. Well, of course. If you can't manage your own home, if you can't lead your own children to Christ, why should you have leadership in the church? And so there's a, a, a rightful peek inside the elder candidate's family, especially the family that's still under his roof. He also must view himself as God's steward, Paul says to Titus. Interesting. He has a stewardship mentality. Uh, the, the elders of the church, starting with the lead pastor and pastors, must view their work as simply managing a sacred trust. Now, we always want leaders in the church and other volunteers to take ownership and, and to really you know, dive in there to take ownership. But there's a difference between taking ownership and thinking you own it. Oh, there's a fine line there. And sometimes a a lead pastor or other pastors or elders and deacons, they they get entrenched and they think they own the place. You will never hear me talk about this as my church. Absolutely not. I I have excised that personal pronoun from my vocabulary as I relate to my role in this church. This isn't my church. Uh, for goodness sakes, I mean, I, this, this is, I'm the fourth lead pastor in 40 years. There have been others that have come before me. And there may be others who come after me if Jesus tarries and I go home to see the Lord before he comes. There will be a fifth and maybe a sixth and a seventh. I, I'm simply a, a steward of a sacred trust for a period of time. I, I say to everybody on our staff, we're all interim pastors. Okay? So he must see himself as God's steward. Negatively, the elder must not be arrogant, quick-tempered. Positively, he must be a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, and holy. Finally, Paul adds, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Circle those words, sound doctrine. We'll come back to those in a moment. In his book, The Measure of a Man, uh, pastor and author Gene Getz applies the uh, totality of elder qualifications found in the pastoral letters. He applies them to men broadly. 
we've gone through Dr. Goetz's book, The Measure of a Man as Elders, and just taken a kind of a chapter a month as we, as we get together. Getz suggests that any man does well to measure himself by the qualities God expects to find in his leaders. And then, with the help of the Holy Spirit, strive to become a godly man in daily practice. Uh, Getz's view, uh, pragmatically, is that these qualifications for elders are good qualifications for men. Men who are husbands and and, and fathers in, in Christian homes. You may never be an elder in the church, but these these are the kinds of godly qualities Christian men ought to strive for. Now, Paul goes on to warn Titus about uh, the many false teachers whom he describes as uh, those who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Remember, as uh, beautiful as the Mediterranean island of Crete looks in the travel brochure, <laughs> when Titus arrived, it was a wild place, an unruly island, and that unruliness had crept into the church, and with that, false teachers. We've been noticing in Paul's uh, epistles, his New Testament epistles, when he's writing to the churches or to the pastors of some churches, he always warns about at least two things, false doctrine or divisions that arise within the church. And sometimes, as in the case of the book of Titus, he warns about both. We'll get to the divisions at the end of the book of Titus and a strong warning that Paul gives to those who stir up division. But here he's he's talking about those who are um, false teachers. Qualified pastors, also called elders, must do more than share mere heartwarming devotional thoughts from the pulpit sort of motivational talks, right? Uh, They must also protect the doctrine of the church and be able to refute false teachers. John Calvin, the great theological reformer, said the pastor ought to have two voices, one for gathering the sheep and another for driving away wolves. I'm working on both of my voices. (laughs) They have different tones to them, right? One for gathering the sheep as a tender and loving shepherd, the other for protecting the sheep As you lead the sheep, you protect the sheep, pastor, and protect them against uh, false doctrine and uh, devious and demonic teaching that can easily creep in unawares into any, any church. Now, who was Paul warning about when he uh, described those of the circumcision party? Well, um, he was describing those loyal Jews who had made their way to the island of Crete and spread their theological gangrene. I mean, it was a a poison in that church. Uh, These were the same Judaizers found in Jerusalem and in Galatia who demanded strict adherence, adherence to the Mosaic law as part of the gospel. Now, if you remember in Paul's letter to the Galatians, uh, he had already refuted their false teachings strongly. Uh, It was... uh, uh, Christ alone, by grace alone, and, uh, and faith alone in Jesus Christ. They wanted to add to that. Yeah, Paul, you can have your gospel, but you, you need to keep all these other laws too. And Paul would have none of it. Kind of reminds me of what Warren Wiersbe once correctly said, wherever God sows the truth, Satan quickly shows up to sow lies. And it was true 2,000 years ago as the early church was just getting started. They had to be aware of this, but it's still true today. 
And oftentimes the lies come by groups who will hijack the language of Orthodox Christianity, language that people are vaguely familiar with, but they'll redefine the terms in their own uh, devious ways, make you thinking that this is really Christianity. You're using the terminology I'm familiar with, but uh, it's, it's, it's really a very deceptive uh, false teaching. Well, apparently this beautiful Mediterranean island was also full of liars. Who would say such a thing? Well, Paul pulls no punches by quoting a well-known Cretan, somebody who maybe grew up on the island, somebody who had been a resident of the island, uh, a respected person perhaps for some time, uh, s- somebody whom when he quoted this person, everybody knew he was known for saying this, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Well, that's somebody who just finished a, a little seminar on how to win friends and influence people. You know, you just call them liars and lazy gluttons. But this was the reputation of this unruly island in the Mediterranean where the gospel had found its way, but not in an orderly way. And there was too much of Crete inside the church, and not enough of the church changing the Cretan culture. Paul knew that underestimating the enemies of the gospel was always a dangerous thing for pastors and for churches. And so he instructs Titus, In chapter 1 and verse 13, to rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. He also draws a strong contrast between the pure minds of biblically qualified leaders and those whom he says are unfit for any good work. Thanks for spending part of your busy Monday here with us at Something Good Radio. It's always a blessing to have you join us. And if you missed part of Dr. Ron Jones' message from Colossians, or if you'd like to hear it again, stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to listen on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. The song Route 66 by Bobby Troop captured the heartbeat of a generation that dreamed of traveling the open road on US 66, from Chicago, Illinois, to Santa Monica, California. Get your kicks. On Route 66. Get your kicks on Route 66 became the rally cry and part of the song's popular lyric. If reading the 66 books of the Bible was like a Route 66 road trip across America, people might do more than casually flip through the best-selling book of all time. That idea captured my heart and inspired me to write a book called The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, making the Bible's story accessible to a new generation of people. Get your kicks on the biblical Route 66. Join me on The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Ron's new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, is now available as a two-volume set covering the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. For a gift of $50 or more, request your copy of the set. When you order the print books, you will also get unlimited access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The Digital Library contains 66 video sermons, 66 audio messages, 66 downloadable sermon notes, and eight eBooks. To order your copy of The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volumes 1 and 2, through the Old and New Testaments, go to somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. 
The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible makes a great addition to any home library. Request both volumes today at somethinggoodradio.org. Now here's Ron with a preview of tomorrow's message. You know, some people think that, oh, theology and sound doctrine, it's all about the mind and, you know, we're, it's just an intellectual exercise. Give me something that warms the heart and helps me to live and all that. Well, it starts with how you think. There's a direct correlation between how we think, what we believe to be true, and how we act. Behavior follows belief, not only practically, but in our spiritual lives as well. Join us next time for Something Good when Dr. Ron Jones shares part two of his message, Titus, Putting Things in Order. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.